Well, a big welcome to those who are joining us online. So hope the messages bless you and encourage you. If they do, do write and let us know. We would love to hear from you. Church, can we give a big hello to those who are watching or listening uh, online? I heard a story about a man who met a woman in a mall car park, and she was, she was crying bitterly. She was just, just, just weeping because she had just lost... $200. And so uh, the man immediately gave her $40 from the $200 that he had just found. And uh, because, uh, again, when God has blessed you, you really do want to be a blessing to others. Can I hear an a, uh, amen? But the moral of that story is simply this. There is no right way to do a wrong thing. There is no right way to do a wrong thing. Last week I, I talked about the topic of sin and I said nothing will steal your song as quickly as sin. Sin is a song stealer, a strength sapper. Sin separates, it puts a distance between the creator and the created, between God and man. Who's the sinner? Well, you are for sure. Pause for effect. You are, we all are. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Where does sin lead? Well, Matthew Henry, the commentator, said this. He says, if we are ruled by sin, we will inevitably be ruined by it. James said after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Romans tells us that the wages or the cost of sin is death. One of my favorite quotes is this, never expect to find honey in a jar that God has labeled poison. Sin will kill you. There is a high cost to low living. And so as we finished last week, I asked the question, what should be done? What should be our response to the, the sin problem? As followers of Jesus, what should we do? Because we know what he has done. Chris shared about it. I share about it every week. What, what he has done. We thank God for the cross. We thank God for... His amazing grace, that's what He has done. But, but, but too often the church doesn't spend time about what should we do? What should be our response to the sin problem? What should be the action we should take? Because although sin may live in us, because remember, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our nature. It's part of uh, who we who we are. And so sin may live in us, but we do not have to live in sin. I said you don't drown by falling into the water, but by staying in the water. So don't stay in the water. Get up and get out of the water. How, how, do, we, how do we do that? Well, the Bible says we repent. We repent. But if you're new to the Bible, what, what does that even mean? 
What is that? That's not a word you hear a lot about in the church these, these days. What, what does that mean? Repent. What does that even mean? Isn't that what the crazy preacher guys on movie do with a sandwich board on some New York City street? Repent because the end of the world is nigh. Isn't that what they, they say? Well, yes, that's the, that's the same word. Repent. But what does it mean? What does repent mean? And it's, a, it's important to know because it's a, it's, a, it's a common Bible kind of word. It's used a lot. John the Baptist told people to repent. In Matthew chapter 3, verse, verse 12, as they came to him, he's like, repent. Jesus told people to repent. In fact, as he came out of the wilderness after spending 40 days and 40 nights in that place, he, as he came out, he was, on, he was on fire and he was ready to preach. And the first word he said was repent. Matthew 4 verse 17, Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the book of Acts, when the crowd of thousands had gathered around Peter on the steps of Jerusalem, they asked him, what should we do to be, be saved? And the first word he uttered was, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And again, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Repent every single one of you. Be baptized every single one of you. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Come on, somebody. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, for the forgiveness of your sins. There's something about repentance that is connected to the forgiveness of sins. Not only that, but it says as you do that, as you move in repentance, it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's something that connects repentance to, 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 to the imbibing or the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to us. And, and then it says this, it says this promise is... For you and for your children and all for, the, for those all who are far off. I want to tell you, we're here at the South Pole are about as far as anybody can get from Jerusalem. This promise wasn't just for them. It is for us. It says, for all whom the Lord our God will call. But what does it mean to repent? And, and a lot could be said. Heaps. In fact, this week I... I as I was preparing the message, I, I spent most of this week in Fiji. I had to go to a funeral with a national, New Life National leader, which we're a part of. He, he passed away in Fiji, so I did a quick trip to Fiji. And, and uh, again, what I spent most of my time doing was really preparing what I'm going to share with you this week. And my problem and my difficulty was not what to put in. It was what to leave out. And so... To be a good communicant, I needed to simplify this as much as I can so we can understand it in the time that we have. So I want to give you three thoughts. Three thoughts from the Hebrew and Greek words that are translated to English, repent. Just three. I'm sure there's more. There could be a hundred, but I'm just going to give you three. To repent means, number one, it means to turn from sin. To turn from sin. I mean, the prophets of old in the Old Testament, they would warn people to turn from their wicked ways. They'd say to people, turn from your idols. Turn from your wicked way. They would warn people to turn from their detestable practices 
I mean, that's, I, I, it's just so, it's so like, what kind of word is that? Detestable. You, I mean, when you say it, it almost sounds bad. Say it, when you turn, you need to turn from you. I've never called anybody into my office and said, would you mind turning from your detestable practices? I just haven't done that. I mean, it's just like, it's just not the done, uh, done thing. That would upset some people. But, but the prophets had no shame in calling people to turn from their wicked ways, to turn from their wrongdoing, to turn from their evil deeds, even, even to turn from their very intention to do evil. Not just doing evil, but even the intention to do evil. So it's not only speaking to our conduct, the external part of what we do. We talked about it last week, breaking God's law. It's not just talking about what we do externally. It's also talking about our motives, why we do what we do. Why we do it. It's talking about that that from an internal perspective, from the, the, the inside out. Someone said this, repentance to be of any use or any avail must work a change of not only conduct, but heart. So true repentance is, is, to, is to change, have a change of direction and a change of mind and a change of heart. Because repentance is not just a good idea, it's an action. It's something we must do. It is something that's important that we do. A.W. Tozer, the great devotional writer, said this, Repentance is primarily a change of moral purpose, a sudden and often violent reversal of a soul's direction. And of course we can see that in so many areas in the scripture, but a beautiful picture is in the parable of the lost son. In that very parable we can see a picture of someone turning from sin. If you know the story, the son takes his father's inheritance. And again, you never really got the inheritance until your father was dead, right? I mean, it's just you don't get the, you don't get the house till your father's gone. I mean, it's just like it's not happening. But, but he came and asked for his inheritance. So really, he was saying to his father, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. And then he went off. You know the story? He squandered his, his inheritance on wild living. But he came to a point, he came to a sense, as the Bible talks about, where he realized, what have I done? What have I done? He suddenly realizes it was better in my father's house. He comes to his, comes to his senses and, and, and he turns from a sin. In fact, he gets to a place where he takes responsibility for his Rebellion takes responsibility for it. Nobody wants to take responsibility these days. I heard a story about a guy who uh, applied for a job, and as he was in the interview, the interviewer said, uh, We are looking for different people. We want to find people who, who are responsible. The guy said, well, I'm your man. He said, when anything went wrong, in my last job, they said I was responsible. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> we need to take responsibility for our actions, for our, our mess, and for our mayhem. And that's what happened to the... 
the lost son, he suddenly realized that he was responsible. Which brings us to our second thought of what to repent means. What, what, what does it mean to repent? The scripture calls it number two, or carries the theme with it of godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Man, I'd love to do a warm, fuzzy message this way, but I, I just... I, I, again, warm, fuzzy message might, might, might make you feel nice, but, but it's not going to save your life. This could save your life. Come on, somebody. But the second thought is, is godly sorrow. That, that's what repentance means when you translate it out of the Hebrew and the Greek. It, it comes with that theme of godly sorrow. And again, we can see that in the parable of the lost son and of the prodigal son. He comes to his senses. He takes stock of his life and he says, I have sinned against heaven and against my father. He takes responsibility. There's a sorrow there. He's like, I have sinned. I realize my state. I have sinned against heaven and my father. J.C. Ryle says, true repentance begins with the knowledge of sin. It goes on to work sorrow for sin. And it leads to confession of sin before God. Uh, Paul the Apostle said this. He said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It's not just, oh man, I'm a, no, no, no. It's a repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. There's something about godly sorrow. It's not like, like you're useless, you're dumb, you're this. No, no, no. It does not leave regret. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Well, what does that mean? How can we even know the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? What is the difference? Well, that same passage in the New Living Translation explains it a little better. It says this, uh, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in a spiritual death. It kills you. So worldly sorrow that lacks repentance, what does it look like? How could we describe it? Well, A.W. Pink said, this, and I, as I've read this, it's so, it's so true. It says, multitudes desire to be saved from hell. That's the natural instinct of self-preservation. Multitudes desire to be saved from hell who are quite unwilling to be saved from sin. Drop the mic. Yo, yo, what's up? In other words, they don't care about the crime. They just don't want to do the time. Come on, somebody. And sin for such ones is not the problem. It's the punishment that they are trying to avoid. Someone said many persons who appear to repent are like sailors who throw their goods overboard in a storm and wish for them again in the calm. If you want a picture of worldly sorrow, you, you don't have to go past Esau. Esau, if you know, he gave up his birthright. It's a long story. I don't have time to get into it fully now. But at one stage in the story, we find Esau weeping, crying. He's weeping. 
But see, understand this. Esau wept that he lost his blessing, not that he sold it. Esau wept that he lost his blessing, not that he sold it. Esau was feeling, in other words, sorry for himself. He was not sorry for his wrongdoing. He was just feeling sorry for himself. That's what worldly sorrow is like. I'm sad I got caught. I'm sad I got busted. I'm sad I got exposed. I'm sad I'm embarrassed. I'm just sad. That's, that, that's what worldly sorrow does. It doesn't focus on the wrongdoing. So true repentance, you've got to understand, carries with it that sense of regret, that sense of sorrow that my sin has actually grieved God. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm loving this. <laughs> I know. Loving it. Lord, can't you give me an easier message to preach? So true repentance carries with it the sense of regret, sorrow that my sin grieves the heart of God. William Mevin says this, real repentance consists in the heart being broken for sin and from sin. Broken for sin and from sin. Jesus was at Simon the Pharisee's connect group. And uh, I was just trying to get the connect groups in there. But Jesus was attending his connect group at Simon the Pharisee's house. And, you know, if you've been around connect groups, sometimes... Awkward moments can happen. And in this connect group, there, there, were, there was an awkward moment. They, they, they were all talking around the table. They had some nibbles, some cheese and crackers and whatever other stuff that was uh, uh, set up. And during this connect group, this woman comes in and it's like awkward. It's like, okay, this, what, what, she's coming. And, and the Bible says she ends up standing behind Jesus. So they're reclined at the table and there is this woman Standing behind Jesus, and she starts to weep and she starts to cry. You've been in an awkward public meeting where somebody comes in and they just start crying. You go, Okay, this is awkward. It was that kind of thing was going on, right? It was like she starts to blubber. I don't know if she had a hanky or whatever, but she starts to cry and she's blubbering. And, 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 and as she cries, I mean, she's just bawling. She is weeping. It says the tears from her eyes fell onto Jesus' feet. And when she saw that, she then knelt down, still weeping, still crying. And she began to wipe her tears off his feet. She then anointed his feet with a perfume from an alabaster jar and began to kiss his feet, weeping. And of course, Simon and the other guys in the connect group, they're looking and going, I thought Jesus was a prophet. I thought he was a prophet. I thought he should understand what kind of woman this is. What, what kind of sinful woman this, this is. He should know what's going on here. And, and Jesus, of course, hears what they're saying. And he says, Simon, can I have the mic? And they're like, sure. And Jesus said this. He said, listen, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him $500 and the other $50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave 
the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon says, well, the one who was forgiven more. And, and Jesus says, you, I mean, you would have got it too, right? It's not rocket science. I mean, they were the one who was forgiven the 500, they, they will love more than the one who was forgiven the 50. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly, Simon. And then he goes on to say this. He says, as this woman's great love has shown you, as this demonstration of her Love, a, a woman who was in desperate need of forgiveness. Uh, the woman who was in the 500 club, not the 50 club. She was in the 500 club, needing desperately to be forgiven. Jesus said, as her great love has shown. But then Jesus said to Simon, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Uh, for instance, may, may, maybe you're not even in the $50 club. Maybe you're in the $5 club. Maybe you're in the, uh, maybe, no, no, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Because what Jesus was really saying, in other words, what he who has forgiven much loves much. The woman had been forgiven much and therefore she loved much. But he who has forgiven little will love little. And really what I'm trying to, to say is that the woman understood the great weight of her, of her sin. She understood that she had been forgiven so much. And so when I was reading this story, I had to ask, when was the last time I wept over sin? When were you last moved to the core of your being at the state of your soul before a holy God? And I had to ask the question, who am I, who am I more like? Am I more like the one who was forgiven 500 or am I more like the one who was forgiven the 50. And the reason I say that is because if we don't see the true weight of our sin before a holy God, we won't see the need to repent. If we see ourselves as a, 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 a little sin doing little, I mean, Chris actually in the first service, he used the word, it doesn't matter whether you've got little sins or big sins. I just want to tell you, sin is sin. But if we don't understand the weight of our sin, if we don't understand that all of us are that woman, all of us are in the 500 club, if we don't understand it, we will not. If we, we, we see it as, as, as little, I'm not like that one. I'm not like this one. Well, they're real bad. No, 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 no. Friends, if we don't understand the true weight of our sin, we won't see the need to repent. We won't see the need to turn. Because whoever has been forgiven little, it's awfully quiet in here. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And, and can I just say this? A little love will produce little worship. Little praise. Little sacrifice. 
little accountability, little service, little obedience, little commitment, little honor. I mean, Jesus said to this, to Simon, he said, Simon, I, I walked in here and and you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't take a moment. What's that big you? Just, it's just, geez, some of us can turn up to church like that. Come on. Oh, just come on. We've got a couple of hours here. Then I'm going to have a, go and do this, go and do that. No, no, for friends, I've got to under, we've got to understand. We've got to come in here going, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I'm part of I just, I, I just got to, you know, but sometimes we turn up with little praise and little worship and little, I'll give, I'll give you God, God a little. Why? Because we don't understand the fullness of what our sin has cost God, that it cost God his very own son. So Simon didn't even wash his, uh, Jesus' feet. You're forgiven little, you love little, and little love produces little worship, little praise, little sacrifice, little accountability. But listen, great love produces great praise. Great love produces great worship. Great love produces great honor when you understand what Christ has done for you. When you, you, you oh, hallelujah. I love that hymn. I, it just so stirs my soul. It says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And, and it says, the, in the last stand, stanza, it says this, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I mean, when was the last time you were moved by the overwhelming and amazing grace and great mercy uh, that God has shown, that God has, has, has given us? Because surely, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the sin and iniquity of us all. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you make us aware of our true need for you? Oh, it's so important we get this because too many Christians today mix up liberty and license. We have a freedom. And maybe I'll, I'll talk on this next week. I don't know. But we understand the grace message, but we don't understand the repentance message. And so we take our, the liberty, the freedom that we have as Christ as a license to live however we want. We've missed the key of repentance. Holy Spirit, make us aware of our true need, our true state before a holy God.
Which brings me to the third and final thought of what it means to repent. It's very important to, when trying to understand, to repent is not just turning from something, it's turning to something. It's a turning from sin to God. To repent is to turn or return to God. That's what it means. And it's important you get this. Because I want to tell you, if you just turn from sin, if you're just trying to avoid evil and trying to do that, that's very noble, but it'll wear you out. Christianity will become about rules and regulations. I want to tell you, Christianity is about relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why it's not about turning away from sin. It's about turning towards God and running towards Him. For only He has the message of eternal life. Only He can save us. People say, I hate sin. No, we don't. We love it. You don't do things you hate. You hate what it does to you. You hate how it messes you up. You hate, uh, but, but, but the Bible says the flesh is weak. But what it actually means is the flesh is very, very strong. It pulls you. Come on. So it pulls you. And so, 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 so because we, we, we love sin, how do we turn from it? But as we do it, if we're just fighting, I just want to be good. I just want to be, friends, you've got to understand we can't be good. We're in the 500 club. We're going to fall short every time. But friends, when we, when, when we say, I, I might love that sin, but I love you more. I love that, but I love you more. I'm going to turn my face towards you. I thought of that as I was going through this this morning, of that, that hymn that says, turn your eyes towards Jesus. I can't remember all the words, but in, in the light of His glorious Grace, And then it says, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Friend, if you're just sitting there trying to resist evil and be a good person, I mean, we can't do it. The whole understanding of repentance is to turn away from that and return to God. In fact, the New Living Translation, the scripture I read out before, Matthew 4, verse 17, it expands. It says, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent is to turn away from sin and return to God. This is what the lost son, the prodigal, did. The son turns away from his sin and he returns to his father's house. And with godly sorrow, he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Godly sorrow. But as he did that, what was the father's response? What was the father's response to the repentant son? The father's response is simply this. The Bible tells us that he sees him coming. From afar, friend, when you turn towards him, he will see you. No matter how far you feel you are. No matter how far you feel away from God, when you, when you turn towards him, he will see you. Why? Because he's always looking for lost sons and lost daughters. He's always looking. And when the son turned, in fact, come on, if we're going to praise God and thank him, let's thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. And when he turned, the Bible says the father began to run to him. He ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. I want to tell you, 
the Father's arms, the song sings it. The Father's arms are open for the repentant son, for the one who turns towards God. His arms are open. And the Bible says, I mean, he, he was, maybe you're here today and you feel like, man, God would just not love a person like me. God would reject a person. No, no, listen, to the repentance, I want to tell you right now, his arms are open. What did God do? He embraced him. He kissed him. He put a robe on and gave him some sandals, put a ring on his finger. I want to tell you, you're a son and daughter of the Most High God. I want to tell you, as you return to him, he will open his arms wide for you and receive son. Because He doesn't look at what you did. He looks at who you are. A son. A daughter. And there's nothing we can do that can, can remove that love that He has. So His arms are open. That's why even Jesus said, come to me. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. People say, they use the term, I don't know who to turn to. And the truth is people turn to all kinds of things to, to get out of their pain. They turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to sex, they turn to money, they, they, they trust in all. They turn to all types of things hoping they will satisfy. But I want to tell you today, turn to God. Return to Him. He's calling you. Return to Him. Repent. Turn away from and towards. Return to Him. So we could sing that. I think Aaron said it, you know, set a fire down in my soul. You got a little fire. This little fire will produce a little worship, a little praise. And we need to say, God, would you set a fire inside of me? Set a great fire. For I understand I'm part of the 500 club. My, my tears wet your feet. My, 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 my shadow, because I thank you, because I understand. Friend, although we're saved freely, it costs God everything. He killed his own son so that we can walk in life. He died our death so that we can live his life. We thank him for the cross. Come on, somebody. Because without the cross, without the cost that was paid, the cross was the cost for our freedom and for your freedom. And you can know him today. Free but not cheap. Would you come? Would you return? Would you come to him and say, Jesus, I'm part of the 500 club. Maybe, maybe you're part of the $1,000 club. I don't know. But we need to understand the state of our sins so we can understand. And that will turn our heart into the gratefulness and thankfulness for what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Can you sing that song, Chris, just started off as you started it before and are you hurting and broken within overwhelmed by the weight of sin Jesus is calling have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for He's calling you today. He's calling you today, sons and daughters. 
maybe for you for a while you just be doing little worship, little praise, little honor, little glory. Because we, we, we approach church like Simon, no big deal. But when we understand what Christ has surely done, we can say thank you for your amazing grace because it truly did save a rich like me would you stand wherever you are right across this auditorium would you put your hands out like this today we're aware God of our state before you God we're aware of our need our desperate need for you and so as sons and daughters we return our heart to you maybe there's things in your life that that you need to turn away from. Even now, God's speaking those things. But like I said, it's not just a turning away, it's a turning towards Him. It's a returning to God. Because listen, when you love somebody, you don't want to do anything to hurt them. We know our sin grieves God. And God, we don't want to grieve you, so we turn to you, our Father who is... In heaven, holy is your name. And we come to you trusting in the cross and the work of it for the forgiveness of our sin. And so we turn our life towards you. We recommit again. For we want to bring great worship, great honor, great sacrifice, great service, great accountability, great obedience, and great honor to your holy name. Help us do this. In Jesus' name. Just keep every head bowed. and I just want to give people an opportunity here today. If you've never got right with God, if you've never got right with you, you've never actually turned and you, but, you, but you know now you need to get right with God you, you just become suddenly it's like man I need to get right with God in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer that, that leads us through how to do that it's just saying God we're going to trust in you and if you're here today and you're saying that's me pastor I need to I, I, would you include me in that prayer if that's you wherever you're standing with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just put your hand up and just say, that's me. Include me in that prayer, Pastor. I need to get right with God. Just put your hand nice and high in the air. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you over here on the left. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God. Come on. Let's not muck around. Amen. Down the back here. Amen. Just lift those hands down. Let's all say this together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent and turn towards you to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. From this day forth, be my Savior and my Lord. Amen.